the Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast, Ian Seabrook Stag Do Special. Live from Barcelona. Live from Barcelona, mate, yeah, we'll keep it away a bit long because you don't want to deafen the old listeners, but just have a bit of air. But, uh, but yeah, no, we've, um, we're having a few beers, aren't we? We've had a good time and uh, we've got a big game tomorrow, Palace Norwich. Um, what are your initial thoughts ahead of the game, mate? Sorry, uh, I should say, Luke Till, Matthew Till here on the pod. Yeah, it's good intros. I yeah. think I think we can excuse your uh, lack of intros to the uh, to the alcoholic uh, beverages. Yeah, tomorrow's game. So Palace at home to uh, to Norwich. Um, it's actually quite a big one, Palace, isn't it? It's early in the season, but um, at this stage, it's one they need to win. It's one that they on the back of a disappointing finish to the Wolves game when we should have really finished the game off um, sorry this is the first stag do I've been brought on where we've got bottles of water right on the table this is an interesting one so, someone's been very sensible here though. some bottles of water so um, yeah it was a disappointing finish to the Wolves game wasn't it it was one that Palace really should have finished off against 10 men with enough chances and one almost I alluded to as well that potentially had the um, the Grealish situation not gone in Palace's favour it could have been two games at home that Palace could have lost by a late goal obviously the Grealish yeah, situation very easily. I don't think it was a, a foul or a dive but it went against Palace um, potentially you know, is, it, is it early enough to say it was a worrying trend or is it just one of those things uh, one of those things I think but given that we can't finish anyone off at the minute because we can't put the ball in the back of there it's a worrying trend that has a danger that if we don't do something about could become a bit of a problem they're, they're going to struggle to score goals because they haven't got anyone with any firepower you will run and do his best and try try his best to, to nick something but it's going to be few and far between goals wise Benteke clearly has lacked confidence to get the goals that he needs and uh, Conor Wickham is not fit so we've got three strikers who've got potential to be very very good but are in no means by on any form or any consistency to do so and the Wolves game proves it you can't play against 10 men for what is it half an hour and, and not finish them off it's disappointing so tomorrow for me is is bigger than it needs to be at this stage of the season because it for confidence and for momentum perspective it's one that Palace need to get something out of so I mean we're, t- we're talking about obviously the attacking side of the game quite a lot there but I do think the defensive side of the game needs to be mentioned slightly because Palace started off the season obviously with Dan and Kelly as centre-backs Scott Dan got ousted by Gary Cahill who's come in and done very well um, but is it sorry no, to interrupt you but is it an issue if PVA doesn't close the boat down if Patrick Van Arnold closes that cross down against Wolves Palace win their game 1-0 to an extent, I think I, I don't think you can put the blame entirely on PVA. But going back to my point, I think you had Dan and Kelly to start with, which was an okay partnership. Cahill and Kelly was a brilliant partnership, and something which I really enjoyed and enjoyed watching. I, I personally, I just think Sacco adds that bit of insecurity, and, and, and there is talking Royce press conference today about Sacco being maybe being a bit of a doubt, so Kelly might come back in. But bar, bar the Tottenham game, what's the issue centre back wise? Because I, I don't think in any of the games by by Tottenham, which Saka came back into it a million miles after Pace I agree with you there, I don't see anything that we were lacking against well, Wolves. What, I think the issue was Wolves, PDA. I, against, against Wolves, I think the issue was also Saka. I, I don't think Saka was up to speed there as well. I think that Saka was looked a little bit sluggish there. I don't get me wrong, he was no he was in no way the same sort of shape that he was against Tottenham, but I still think he was lacking against Wolves and he was lacking that sort of pace. And we, we spoke about this earlier off the pod around sort of what Saka brings to the team and potentially brings a little bit more of attacking flair and then with the ability to drive the ball forward but I still think James Tompkins or Martin Kelly is actually a better defender than Mavri Saka I don't, don't disagree with that however I'm not sure what the issue has been so far in that, in that position by the Tottenham game I think that if, if like I say if Palace if, if we'd have won that game against Wolves which we should have done we would be in what sixth place fifth place something about that yeah and and this will be a very different discussion because we didn't finish that game off and therefore we dropped two points the discussion is about players or the positions and maybe there isn't an issue and I think that if Palace could have finished off Wolves we'll have a discussion yeah no I completely agree with you but to an issue I think what more of, what, what is more of an issue 
is the amount of mint in your mojito at the moment because it looks like you've got a fucking this is very true looks like you've got a fucking plant growing in there to be fair um, but I mean what, what your, if, if I was to, 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 to put, push you for a prediction for tomorrow then what, what would you say in terms of a, a sort of a final score prediction for, 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 for tomorrow's game Palace at home to Norwich I would, I would hope that Palace can do enough to, to win the game. I really would hope that we can we can pick up from where we were in the second half against Wolves, which is consistent pressure, uh, consistent control of the game. Because in the second half we did control the game uh, and, and push on from there. And against the Norwich team who are very hit and miss, very up and down. My worry is that they've got players on form, particularly striking. Uh, team Puka, yeah, who, who is very much on form. And, and, and all it would take at the minute is for a chance for them, uh, they get a goal and we struggle to get anything back. So I, I'm going for 1-0 Palace. With the score being? Uh, Jordan are you? I'll go for Crystal Palace 2-1, Puki to get the goal and Christian Benteke to get two. Come on wow. A 70 minutes so wow. Palace losing 1-0 half-time. Benteke coming on with 75 minutes, bagging two goals. I've got faith in Tekkers. And Luke will also read out the lottery numbers for Saturday evening. Stay tuned. 7, 16, 12, 24, 64. How many numbers are there? Yeah, you're already out. Oh, good. Okay, we're good. All right. Well, we're going to pause there because I need to get on a drink and um, I'm a bit worried about the sound levels in this as well because it looks fucking mental. Look at that. Check it out. Jesus Christ. Right. So, a bit of a break there. And after the break hopefully we'll bring you the views of Nick Soper who is a Bromley and a Nottingham Forest fan and also to come a Russell Durso's views on VAR do we really have to do that? we do oh Jesus alright we'll see Hello and welcome back to the Six Pointer Podcast and I'm here joined by Nick Sober who is birthday boy Nick Sober. H- happy birthday mate. Thank Start you off. very much Luca. I appreciate that. Yeah, 35 today. 35, so the big, days. the big three five, so yeah. uh, only five <laughs> to 40, so I'd be uh, looking forward to that as well. I really am. Middle age is approaching as they say, it's birth school, life, death and uh, not much in between, but I'm halfway there and uh, times are good. We're having a lovely time in Barcelona, aren't we? Are, we? We are definitely yeah. And so the reason I wanted to get you here was to talk to you a bit about your niche, as it were, because you are born a Nottingham Forest fan and became a Bromley Town fan as well. So yep. talk to me a bit about how that came about. Uh, first, the Nottingham Forest journey, and then how you became a Bromley fan, and, and obviously you're an avid Bromley supporter now. Absolutely, um, yeah. It's a very strange process, really, because growing up, you know, I grew up in South London, and uh, a lot of kids at school were kind of into the Arsenal's, Liverpool's, Man United's, yep. but we were just in the kind of the, the end of the Clough era I suppose and uh, I picked a team uh, ridiculously because my name began with N and so did Nottingham Forest and I remember sitting in the bath one day as a five year old thinking who am I going to support, how am I going to differentiate myself from the other kids? That moment, you clearly, I do, I clearly remember it. I was weighing up Norwich and Notts County who were also <laughs> quite big at the time. I probably made a good decision in some respects to pick Forest but um, a life journey began from there and I uh, would well follow them fairly religiously. I'd uh, through through the club years and back into the championship, bouncing back and forth as a bit of a yo-yo club at the time through the nineties. Yep. And then the rather depressing years of the noughties, uh, where I think we had five uh, playoff semi-final defeats, which uh, never nothing really came to fruition in terms of return to the top flight so 19 years outside but as, as the game went on I became a bit disenchanted with the whole kind of aspects of the money that came into football the foreign ownership the fact that I couldn't go up to Nottingham regularly what was was this particularly Nottingham Forest or just sort of football in general I think what happened at Forest was um, the, the owner Nigel Doughty who was a, a local man put his heart and soul into the club but without getting the results uh, he sadly passed away and then um, a Q80 guy came in and the kind of whole atmosphere changed somewhat in terms of there was you know an, an influx of foreign players less of emphasis on homegrown and I suppose the team I'd grown up with felt very you know far away from the reality and so I just kind of almost knocked on the head I wasn't going to games and in 2005 I had the experience of uh, going to watch Bromley away at Horsham I was up at university in Manchester I travelled down with my friends Jim and Chris and we went to the game um, 1-3-1 it was the playoff final away in front of about 310 people 
and to be fair I was hooked I got an non league bug from then and you know 15 years later I'm stuck with Bromley and uh, it's been a fantastic journey with three promotions so I can't really ask for anything more well, well talk to us a bit about those three promotions because obviously they, they not come in quick succession but they've come pr pretty frequently as it were what, what do, what's your main factor or main factors if you were to put it down to a couple that have been the the sort of the, 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 the spark to, to sort of cause that massive transition in the club yeah it's it's I mean there's a there's a number of points I suppose in it it's always been a obviously a very a local club and some would say they've been underperforming as they've established 127 years ago and they've been a sort of fixture of the Athenian League the Isthmian League without ever really sort of touching the, the non-league sky and getting there and it's lucky that my sort of journey sport Bromley coincided with the glory years and uh, an ex-player Jerry Dolkey who uh, came along uh, and his, his, his heart is so much in touch with the club uh, he became the owner uh, in a very difficult era um, you know 20 years ago and uh, I suppose from then on in it's just been an, up, uh, an upward journey we've uh, moved from basically playing against park teams you know in, 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 in front of tiny crowds uh, but we've had connections with Palace and the local clubs like Millwall yeah. we've managed to get players along the way you know people like Simon Osborne Bobby Bowery and they moved us up a level uh, we won a famous fixture against uh, AFC Wimbledon um, in 2000 and I think it was 2007 you were at the semi-final beat Billericke on penalties to get out of the um, Isthmian Premier into the Conference South and in a number of years stabilising Conference South and finally after one unsuccessful run at the playoffs we did get promoted five years ago and I don't know I think they've just got things right on off the field they're focused on building a club and, and, and there's a lot of short termism in non-league in terms of you throw a bit of money at it yeah. the money runs out and then the club sinks again yeah. but they've been building to something and it's, it's been a huge success the crowds are a testament to that uh, as I was saying earlier to Luke we had Three, just over 3,000 at Notts, uh, Notts County at home the other week, 2,500 on a Tuesday against Woking, we're top of the uh, National League, and it's just, I think a lot of Bromley fans are pinching themselves, but they're, they're doing it the right way, without, they have a rich benefactor, but he's not spending money left, right and centre, they're building something for the community, and uh, it's just been a phenomenal journey, to, and um, it's been a blessing to be part of it, to be honest. So, I mean, something you touched on there is obviously the fan base has been growing somewhat, and, and obviously being a Crystal Palace fan personally I've, I've seen that from being a, a you know a following the championship years for, for, for God knows how many years and obviously as you go to the Premier League you gain more fans I'm wondering does that relate as a Bromley Town fan so for example as a Bromley fan you've seen Bromley playing you know no disrespect but lower league teams with probably a handful of people there yeah. now you've pushed up through the leagues more and more people come is not not a resentment, but is there a not a divide? But is there is there? Do you feel there's some sort of separation in the fan base between those that have been there from the beginning, and those that have sort of come along uh, recently? Uh, oh, of absolutely. I think there's a there's a core of fans who've been there longer than me, the 90s, 80s, and in fairness, the majority of them, like myself, are kind of pinching themselves at the progress the club has made. But there are always a few who will rally against change because for them, non-league football needs to be disparate from you know the, the, the hustle and bustle and the cutthroat nature of the football league and or the Premier the League and that's the of it that's why they yeah, love it yeah so exactly much. and, and th there's the worry that we'll lose something by going through the leagues and getting up to that sort of football league level yeah. but I think for most people football is about winning but it's also about the enjoyment of watching your team and the fact that I think this is very important to Bromley our manager is a local lad he grew up in Bromley he went to Ravensbourne school just over the road our benefactor or kind of chief exec at the moment he is another Bromley lad who got talked into it and now he's hooked on the bug of Bromley um, every, everyone involved is a local connection so many of the players come from Bromley or Lewisham some of them have come through the youth ranks and I think that gives a sort of connect between the fans and the players that perhaps other non-league teams don't don't have because a lot of mercenaries flirt about in non-league people who dropped out of the leagues they're there for a paycheck but I think we're doing it quite differently and and that's why I think a lot of fans have been willing to get on board the journey rather than sort of rally against it and it's it's quite refreshing and, and it's, it's all good because you don't want to isolate the people that have been there since day dot you absolutely want them 
you know, to, to revel in this because for any club, three promotions in 15 years, potentially four, all the new grounds you see, all all the all the amazing times of promotions, you know, that's something to celebrate rather than something to, well, essentially be a bit unhappy with and sort of think I'm going to resent that and I want my, my my park team back and go back to the days when we're losing you know two new at Whiteleaf and hating <laughs> hating life so yeah Luke it's been brilliant and I'm, I'm glad that everyone's sort of singing this from the same hymn sheet yeah no certainly so and I mean it's quite interesting also to see it from your viewpoint for example we're sitting here in a bar now in Barcelona and we've got Stoke Nottingham Forest on the TV where oh, absolutely. Forest are, are winning sort of 2-1 right now but fantastic season if, so far if, if, if if you were to sort of to, to try and sum up Forest season so far, how would you put that in in a couple of paragraphs, as it were? I would say that the Forest fans are very much patient. They're certainly not patient, uh, <laughs> and but that reflects the ownership of Forest. Um, we we haven't had a manager who's lasted a whole calendar year since Billy Davis's second spell, and Which that's was in what year? Well, that was about 2012, 2013. That's it's a long time ago. That's, a, that's an unbelievable. Statistic. We have gone through multiple managers, whether they be you know British managers, foreign managers, um, you know all sorts of highly rated names like Karanka, Philip Montagnier out of France, Martin O'Neill, of course, who came off the Ireland job, Dougie Freeman, um, Dougie Freeman, of course, <laughs> who. And in fairness to him, Mark Warburton as well, got us playing some good yeah, football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean O'Driscoll, uh, who was, you know, he's a good manager, he played the right way. But the, the patience runs out because there's still this mindset with Forrest that, you know, the expectation weighs heavily in terms of the clough years and where the fans think they should be. Well, certainly a huge history and, and almost like a, an expectation among the fans that they should be in a certain level. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it hasn't happened. And this is 19 years outside the top flight, which for many is is too much yeah. and that's and that's why the patience runs short and you go on a bad spell of results but I mean Lamouche maybe started a bit slowly there was early defeats but since then I mean I think it's eight or nine games unbeaten in the league now I mean we're, we're 52 minutes into this game but Forrest are leading and there seems to be a bit of a sea change in terms of we have a big squad but they actually seem to be playing for the shirt there's a good balance in the squad we have some excellent attacking players Graben's back on form Joe Lolly's excellent and some of the, the Portuguese imports that have come in are actually look like they can deliver in this division and settled in quite well so I think optimism's high and whether we go up or not but if we make the playoffs that's a huge step up on previous seasons so so, yeah. so on that point then if I were to put you on the spot yeah. what does success look like for Forest this season is it playoffs of course you can. Oh, we've got someone here trying to nick a cigarette, so we'll, we'll just do that first before we answer that question. Um, so success, I would say, for Forrest is... Top six? I think I think top six, but obviously uh, the expectation level grows as the season goes on. Of course. And I think people would have settled for a bit of stability. But it's very much easy to say. I mean, you look at Chelsea and, and I think finally the fans are on side with Lampard. But people talk a good game about stability when the results don't go their way often the fans are the first to clamour for the, an exit of the boss yeah. fans yeah hopefully this time it's different and when the results don't come and, and they won't come I'm sure there'll be a, a bit of a lull in the season as always is yeah as there always is and Palace have had it under Hodgson as well I mean but you stick by your man and I think if Forest finish in the playoffs that's a, that's a roaring success promotion or no promotion because it just shows we're going in the right direction after a few years and sort of the championship wilderness so on the flip side to that what does success look like for Bromley then going back to Bromley then this season do you think because no. obviously they're doing well start the season where do you see them finishing obviously there's going to be dips and lows in form and things like that but realistically where do you think can, can be considered a good finish for Bromley in your eyes I'm not talking about a general yeah. but in your eyes in your, in your own opinion in my, in my opinion I think top seven which is goes down to the lowest playoff spot would yep. be fantastic Bromley's highest finish in the National League and this is our fifth season is ninth um, I feel we've got an excellent squad we've we've learned from last season's mistakes where we brought in some certain certain players who perhaps didn't have the National League experience this season we've got a couple of ready-made players in who've dropped out of the Football League like Billy Bingham at Gillingham who's excellent we've got yep. Josh Reese back from Gillingham um, we've got Rico Hacker Fairchild who's uh, was a, a Charlton Academy product who is something a bit different, a bit special. We can change a game. So you've got that experience from a higher level. We've got the experience. We've got a good mix of experience and youth, but people who just hit the ground running. And we're 13 games in. 
unbeaten, we have the trickiest test of the season the way at Yeovil. I think if we got a point, that'd be a huge success. But four points clear, and the crowds are growing. I mean, the expectation levels rise. But to keep my feet on the ground, I think any sort of playoff position would be fantastic. And knowing nature of the National League and the way the system works, if you finish top three, you finish second or third, you're one home win away from Wembley, um, which must be a huge incentive to anyone. And I think if we stay injury-free, I think we can do that. I think we can do it. Maybe not winning the league. There's too many teams of experience. Yeovil and Notts County have had slow starts, but it'll build up. But I think things are very positive at Bromley. You can see it on and off the field. Well, th thank you very much, Nick, for your time. And it's, it's, I must say, it's a pleasure to have someone speak so eloquently on the pod and almost. A I, I, I put you as the Dominic Firefield of, of, of the lower league so thank you very much for your time and I really appreciate you being on the podcast it's a pleasure Luke any time and uh, good luck to Palace for the season and hopefully Palace and Bromley can have a, a season of success thank you I'm sure mate take, take care thank you very much Hello and welcome back to the Six Point Podcast and I'm pleased to be joined by Russell Derso. Russell, how are you doing? I'm Ian Stagdo, how are you feeling? Very good, thank you. Still feels like a bit of a calm before the storm. It's quite early in the evening even though we've been out for a good four or five hours now. It, it feels but, uh, very civilised still, doesn't it? I mean, the fact that we're doing a podcast feels very civilised, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But we're a group of civilised gentlemen just enjoying a few beers. Well, but, a few, but yeah. Well, um, a few beers now, but we'll see where it takes us later, eh? Excellent. So, obviously, this is the first time on the pod. I know you're a long-time listener, big-time fan. Obviously, you're listening every week. Um, so, I thought might as well give you a, a, a few sort of quick-fire questions in terms of sort of introduce you, you in terms to uh, the, the fans or the pod. So, why don't you tell me a bit about you and the fact that you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan, how you become a fan, um, what sort of spurred that on, and what were your first sort of experiences of being a Tottenham Hotspur fan? Okay, what spurred that on? So, no pun intended, right? Well, there was a little bit there, mate, if I'm honest, but yeah. And just also to clarify before I get going, is that my beer right there or is that someone else's? That is no one, that no one's claimed that beer, so you can have that beer if you want it. Absolutely, I think, well, I think the time we, it might help me to get through the next five being, minutes or so. For so. being a guest on the pod, you get that beer. It's a free okay, beer. Okay, great, great. Free beer. Jackpot, jackpot. You want a stag do free beer? Okay, so you've um, you've tended to focus on my Tottenham Hotspur background. We'll, we'll talk about your playing career a little bit later. Okay, we'll, 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 that, we'll talk about your fan supporting career at the moment. Cause that's fine, that's fine. Um, I think, um, and I'd struggle to remember the precise year actually, but one, one memory that springs to mind is the first time that my dad took me to Tottenham. So... Just to take things back a little bit, my dad, you, my dad's a Tottenham supporter, and back in the day, he used to go to Tottenham every other week, and he used to go to Orient the other week. Okay. So, so when Tottenham were playing away, he yeah, to absolutely. So one week you'd go to Tottenham, the other week you'd go to Orient. Um, why he came down on Tottenham rather than Orient, I don't know. I guess anyone's guess is as good as mine, but that's the reality of the situation. And I think my first memory and. Like I say, I'd really struggle to pinpoint the year, but I recall myself and my dad going to um, Tottenham, along with my mum and dad, actually. I think he managed to pick up a few tickets through colleagues at work. So it was a, fa a whole family affair, didn't Family it? affair, Lovely. absolutely. Lovely. I love and, that, I love and, that. And the, the fixture that I remember was a Tottenham 3, Liverpool 3 fixture. So I'd, have to, game I'd, have, game. To, I'd have to dig back through the archives to work out exactly what year that was. Got the program? I'm, I'm quite inclined to. Um, I'm quite inclined to do that. <laughs> obviously, obviously not right now during this pod, but uh, a later date just to kind of remind myself what year that was. But that was absolutely the first, and I can't even remember if it was one of those games whereby um, it was one goal here, one goal there, and then one goal here, one goal there. Literally trading goal for goal, if I remember right. In business yeah absolutely and um and that that that's also always my first memory of watching Tottenham like I say I probably need to go away and pinpoint what year that was but that is my that is my main first memory and 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 as it sort of evolved obviously Tottenham have gone through highs and lows peaks and drops as any club has done I mean how have you followed that journey I mean obviously as you got older you've played football yourself as we alluded to earlier has it been harder to follow Tottenham because you've not been able to attend games or because of the fact they've been 
you know, I put in quotation marks, a large team within the English Premier League division, they've been easier to follow even though you've not been attending the games. Okay, so first of all, let's be a bit real about the highs and the lows, right? So at the time that I talked about that Liverpool fixture, Tottenham were a mid-table team. We had the odd good cup run and um, yes, we kind of flattered to deceive a lot of the time. We kind of did okay in the league, but no better than okay. And um, yeah, had a few reasonable results in, in cup competitions. Um, so I kind of didn't really experience like any glory or, as such as a Tottenham fan. Yeah. I think the the main enjoyment that I found in, if we're talking most recent years, but not kind of too historical as such, I really enjoyed the Harry Redknapp era. That was when we first found our way back into the Champions League. Yeah. I went on a few European visits, both with um, a good uni mate of mine at the time, and then also um, went with my dad to watch Tottenham away at Real Madrid, which is a very, very special moment. Talk, for me. talk us a bit through that. So, so what, what away games did you go to, and, and how was that as an experience? So, I think it was the first year that Tottenham got back into the Champions League, and um, I recall going away to um, Inter Milan with a really good mate of mine at the time, and we went to the San Siro. Fantastic. Just the atmosphere and the build up to the game was absolutely blinding. And obviously, the whole event because you're there for the day beforehand. Yeah, and, I, you know, I can't remember where we went out one or two days beforehand, but the, the day of the game, just congregating in one of the main squares in Milan, having a few beers before the game, soaking up the sunshine because it happened to be a nice game. Um, one, one memory that I recall, and as you know, like, I'm not a big drinker, but. Um, Are you not? Ab- absolutely blinding, getting on one of the buses to the, to the game like with a load of other Spurs fans and a bottle of vodka or something being passed around <laughs> and my natural inclination being to be, no, I don't want a bit of that vodka, but yes, you're Spurs, mate, you're having a bit of that vodka. Like, there's no way I'm not getting involved in that. So that was a real big, real good memory of me. And that, that happened to be the same day that Tottenham got beat 4-3 by Inter Milan. And I think we were 4-0 down at half-time and then wow. I was like head in my hands. I was absolutely steaming off all the vodka on the bus and I was like what have I let myself in for the world has ended at that point I'm sitting with the Inter Milan fans I'm absolutely smashed oh so you weren't even in the way in no no oh shit I'm I'm with the Inter Milan fans we're getting absolutely smashed 4-0 at half time I'm not lots going my way I remember putting my hoodie over my head at half time (laughs) second half step forward Gareth Bale for those of you who remember that game Gareth Bale scored scored a hat trick in the second half took Mike on to the cleaners the Peter Crouch talks about a lot in the Peter Crouch podcast. The, but yeah. the, the phrase that was going round after that was tax, taxi for Mycon, and it almost felt like a victory, really. It's kind of from agony to ecstasy, even though we got beat in the game. Just seeing what we saw from Gareth Bale on that day, and um, yeah, the place that I was in at half time compared to at the end of the game, I think me and my mate ended up going for quite a good few beers after that game. and talking to some of the locals and people were talking about Gareth Bale they weren't talking about the fact that Tottenham got dicked on 4-0 at half time and then 4-3 overall everyone was like Bale everyone was like Bale 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 and um yeah, that, that, that was a good memory for me. Good memory for me, despite the result. So, so we talked about the highs and, and, and the lows of your... Well, mostly the highs of your Tottenham sporting career. Let's talk a bit about your playing career, because I know you still play football to a, a half-decent level at the moment. How did you start playing, and, and where were you playing at the moment, and how do you feel about that? It's quite funny, actually. Football's probably been a big thing for me since the age of seven or eight. Um, yes, I know that's 20, 27, 28 years ago now. Putting their age in there, um, yeah, getting old, getting old, getting old. Um, so amateur football has been quite a big thing for me since that age, really. Um, it's funny, actually. I r- regularly tell this story. Um, at the time, I was probably going to Sunday school. I at a church with a good friend of mine from primary school that lived down the road. Right. And Dad said to me, oh, Russ, do you want to start playing football on a Sunday? So I was like, oh, football, I'll have a bit of that. I'm not sure about this Sunday school lark. And, I have a good time every Sunday, but football sounds a little bit more interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it um, kind of evaporated from there, really. Um, I tried to get into a side at my local club, West Wickham, when I was seven, which would have been their under nine side. It was probably a year too early for me. I wasn't one of the strongest players at the time. But um, ended up, although I just kind of did a bit of training for a year or so, the following, following year, I ended up being the fully, fully fledged part of a team. We actually had quite a strong team. We had a really, really good junior team with um, players that actually went on to become a part of Palace's Academy, for example. Can you can you name um, drop a few of them for me? 
Yeah, not names that you would have heard of now. Um, James Miller was a very good footballer and a very good friend of mine back in the day. He went on to um, play at Palace and then at um, Gillingham, but probably as a YTS before at right. Marvel and becoming a pro. Right. Then went on to the likes of Folks and Invicta and played a bit at teams such as Banstead Athletic in the Ryman League. Um, other players such as Mike Hollands, who I played with from a young age, yep. he found himself at uh, Sutton United for a little while yeah, and a couple, of other, a couple of other non-league teams. Um, Lee Fieldwick, who also played at Palace for a while under, um, what was his name, someone Taylor. Not Gareth. No, no. One uh, a, a chap called Taylor that ran a lot of the youth youth section at that time, um, and then also ended up at the likes of. So this was during the Coppel era, really, and yeah. ended up at Brentford. So the early nineties. Ended up at Brentford for a while, 2000, and, then, yeah. and then found himself back at West Wickham. So, um, so yeah, I, I played in a played in a pretty strong junior team and took that junior team all the way through from nine to eighteen. So, like I say, stayed with the same junior club for all that period of time before I went away to university. Went away to university for a few years. Played a lot of intramural or hall sport at university before then. Hit 21 and went back to the same amateur club to play adult football. And I've kind of not looked back really over the last 14 or so years now there. And I'm still involved at the age of 35 playing in one of our senior sides and ever so often for the vets team as well as well as being secretary of that fo- football club so yeah amateur football has been a massive part of my part of my life so so if i was to draw down into the psyche of it a little bit there i don't want to go too deep obviously but what is it that draws you into it and keeps you wanting to do more and and, and carrying on every saturday because obviously it, it takes up a lot of your time you have training and you have Saturday games uh, it takes up a lot of your weekend and a lot of your spare time when you're not at work so what is it exactly which makes you want to play and makes you want to carry on playing is it the camaraderie is it the people you play with is it the fact that you enjoy being physically active or is it a mixture of all, 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 all of the above I think it's hard to put one single kind of reason or, or figure on it really it's been as I've said to you it's something that I've just done from the age of seven or eight so um, it feels natural yeah absolutely natural I'm now 35 um, so like we're talking 27 28 years as I said as I said earlier and yes I've got a small child now coming up to the age of two but think of anything that you might have done Luke you're kind of around about the 30 mark yourself if you've done something for 27 28 years you don't just knock that on the head no, you know course, what I mean course, that's, yeah. that's kind of ingrained in it's your a ma- way of life it's ingrained in your yeah. makeup yeah. it's yeah. a massive part of you so um, West Wickham Football Club is a massive part of me yes I have other, other priorities now but to even contemplate walking away from that yes I might not be able to play quite as regular, regularly as I have done in the past for example on a way on a stag do this weekend a good there mate go. of mine can't play tomorrow can't play I'm next sure, I'm sure actually we're having the pod at some point I don't know if he's coherent enough to talk but hopefully we're having the point at one point yeah can't can't play um, can't play next week because I've got a family holiday but there's always going to be a game for me the week after we've got six senior sides we've also got a veterans team and as long as I'm able to play football one day I'm not going to be able to walk one day I'm not going to be able to play football so for me for me that's what I do so I mean I don't want to delve too deep into this but just just to touch on this a little bit but I mean do you think there's a little bit in the sense of it's a bit of a, a mental release to an extent because obviously like you say you've got a young family at home now we will understand a bit of the pressures of that um, do you think football is maybe a bit of a I don't want to say escape because that isn't quite the right word but it allows you a bit of me time do you think when you, you're sort of able to see you, your, your priorities lie with your wife and your child but when you go on the pit on the field on the Saturday, do you think that's a bit of me time? Do you think that's that that's quite important to have that time and and you focus solely on what you're doing and that's quite important to you? I mean, we're in a day we're a day and age of, of sort of mental health and thinking about these sort of things. And whilst back in the day, perhaps it wouldn't have been phrased that way, but maybe now we think about it in that sort of way. Do you think? I don't want to put words in your mouth, mouth but do you think it's got any sort of that aspect in it? Do you think maybe? No, I just I kind of don't want to well on your words exactly too much but can I just flip that back to you I mean what does a Saturday and going to Palace mean to you well, for, for me I mean 
me and my brother were very close growing up. Um, I only thought it's four and a half years between us, but I mean, he, he pretty much brought me up, and, and it's sort of a testament to why I'm here. The fact that one of his his friends is, is one of my good friends now, and the fact that we're on a stag do here, so we were very close growing up. We share, we share a lot of friends, so for me, especially since um, he's moved away from home um, and he's um, obviously got his own family and had a child. Obviously, our time together is limited, so I really cherish the moments we have every other Saturday to go to Palace because it's not only about us supporting Palace, it's about the fact that I get to spend some time with my brother. I get to talk to him about what's happened throughout the week, at half-time, before the game. I get to talk to him about the game as well, so it's almost been able to hark back to those days when we were living together and have that connection again for me uh, personally. But it's more than that, isn't it? I absolutely get the fact that like the brotherly factor is there. I totally get that. But there's obviously something about you going to football every other Saturday that does it for you. Yeah, I mean, and there's a common goal that we share there. There's a common interest we share. Like, I'm, not, I'm not belittling the brotherly thing whatsoever. In fact, a lot of my amateur football career, particularly on the senior side, I've been in the same team as my brother, which has been absolutely brilliant for me he might tell you otherwise because more often than not <laughs> I've played left back and he's played left midfield and I've given him a hard time for a lot of the game but um, you also set him up a, a lot of times well, well, well something like that yeah but um, so don't get me wrong I'm not belittling that thing but ultimately no matter what you say about the brotherly side of it and the softer side of it there's something about you that draws you to football week in week out or every other week at least and it's the same for me just albeit at a different level like Yes, I'm a Tottenham supporter, but first and foremost, I'm a West Wickham supporter. West Wickham is far more important to me than Tottenham is important and to me. And a football fan. And I, yeah, that is, that, is, that is my thing. If someone said to me, could you play for West Wickham on a Saturday or could you, or would you go to watch Tottenham on a Saturday, it's not a contest. So if, if, I, if I was here with you right now and I said to you, Russ, on the table here, you've got two cards. One that says you've got a free... Tottenham Hotspur season ticket in the best seat wherever you want for life or you've got playing every Saturday for life you choose the West Wickham one would you? Definitely the latter 100% Really? Yes Now I know my career is not going to last forever Probably not um, As I mentioned earlier I've now started playing veterans football which is it's quite interesting that ages you a bit there mate it's quite, yeah. it's, quite, it's quite interesting I'm sure some weeks will be more challenging than others for example I've talked to a few of the other boys today about how I played centre back a couple of weekends ago and I felt like the centre forward didn't, move, didn't make me move for the whole game so it wasn't competitive enough for me but the beauty of Vets football is if the team is still have me I might still be able to be playing in that team till I'm 45-50 and yes I can go on and watch Tottenham Touchwood till I'm 60-70-80 hopefully seeing the team develop as well and just, on. just having that ability to kind of crack on and pull my boots on on a Saturday for another good 10 to 15 years don't tell my wife um, has much more of an appeal to me she, she'll be listening obviously but uh, touch wood that happens mate and uh, thank you very much for your time on the pond I appreciate you taking the time out the Stag Do to talk to us on on this special Stag Do podcast and hopefully we have a few other guests as well tonight but um, Russell thank you very much for your time I really appreciate it no problem been an absolute pleasure and more than happy to talk to you again cheers mate take care bye Hello and welcome back to the Six Point, Six Point Podcast. I'm here with Daniel Lee. And we're going to take a little bit of a different different edge to the podcast here. We're going to talk a little bit about dreams, lucid dreaming and mental health a little bit. We touched a little bit with Russell Durso in the last part. But, Dan, I understand you're a little bit of a, an expert. Can I say, can I, can I stretch that much around lucid dreaming? You can compliment me to the degree of calling me an expert. I'm happy to... Well, I'll put you a beer on so I can compliment you that much. So, there we go. So, from an amateur's point of view, talk to me a bit about lucid dreaming and how one can control it. Okay, right. I mean, uh, personally, you've hit a, a, a nerve in using the C word, which is obviously control. Okay. So, um, Let's, let's start with the basics because ultimately a lucid dream, we all dream, a lucid dream is specifically a moment in which you are in the dream actively becoming aware that the dream is happening at the moment you're dreaming. So we're okay. not talking about waking up, having a vivid dream, it's not a re- retrospective occurrence, this is specifically being aware that the dream is taking place as it's occurring. And, so, and, and therefore... Well, you can make yeah, things happen off the back of that or controlling a dream right, okay. right? so we fall into the control group because 
uh, we're aware we're dreaming, so we have an influence on our dreams. Okay. So that element of influence is what is misguided as control. Okay. So it, once you become regular in the lucid, uh, you know, once you become regular in lucid, you will find that you will try and do things, and it's not happening as you're expecting or trying to control. Right. Okay. So there has to be an element of you're not in control. You're still lucid, but you don't have full control over the experience you're having, what, what, what you're witnessing, you know, how the dimensions of, it, of what's occurring is taking place. So um, it's very much like a sailor on a ship. So they're sailing a ship and he can still get from A to B, but he's not controlling the ocean. He's not He's not forcing the waves to go in a certain way. He's not forcing the wind. Okay. But so the situation is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. You're, you're ultimately uh, you're navigating the dream realm, and the fact that you're aware you're dreaming gives you a huge element of influence. So you can you can by virtue of element control it. You know, if you want to fly, you can fly. But really, you're influencing the dream to permit yourself to fly. Okay. If you've got a blockage that stops you, doesn't matter what you do, you won't. It's not going to happen. Okay. Can we, I guess, for sort of listeners' sake, maybe it might be useful to sort of backtrack a little bit and find our way into how you got into this and what your interest lied in terms yeah, of how you actually found your interest in this yeah, area. I mean, um, like, I would say, uh, you know, dreaming is a natural occurrence. We all dream. Yep. Uh, when we're younger, we're much more familiar with our dreams. You know, it's become something that is, uh, becomes a big part in our life. You know, we're figuring out the world, we're getting gripped with what's going on. Suddenly we're having these experiences on night experience. The older we get, we hit puberty and we regress into this element of, um, you know, we go back into the material world that we're living in and we hold a lot more weight onto that. Yep. For me personally, you know, I've always been a big dreamer when I was growing up and then the same thing happened to me as everyone else. You know, I hit puberty, I was interested in the same thing as everyone else. I wanted to, you know, uh, I prioritised what I experienced in my waking life over that and my dream. Okay. Um, and then, you know, for me, it was an element of, I got very ill when I was 18, I was in hospital for, uh, you know, over a year, uh, you know, near-death experience, had cancer, probably had about, you know, 2% chance of living, and was, found myself in hospital bed, couldn't walk for months on end. So, at that point, um, dreaming gave me a respite where I was able-bodied. So it's almost like a release? Yeah, definitely very much. When I was in my dream, I had no pain, no discomfort. I could walk along the beach, I could run, you know, I could do all of these things that I could do in the life that I had before. Okay. Now, you know. So that's, that's kind of what initially, and being in hospital for so long and taking a lot of different drugs, I'm having a lot of uh, different, you know, I've had a very different experience in my dreams there, uh, which kind of really kind of started to keep my curiosity. But, but where did that come from in a sense? Was it the case that you were just having dreams and you thought, how long, let me see if I can tell this, or was there someone that inspired you or something you read that you made you think that oh hang on because of this i can do this that and the other yeah i, I mean I, I personally think most people as a kid have, have had a lucid experience when i talk to other children i think other people i know have their kids yeah they're aware of their dreams and they'll be aware that you know i'll say what did you dream about last night i dreamt about this whilst i was dreaming about these pirates I knew it was a dream. Yeah. I knew it couldn't yeah. have been real. No, it wasn't they real. Losing, yeah. Right? Yeah. They weren't at the stage where they could then stop dreaming about pirates and think about being on a beach, getting a massage, or you know, changing the script. But they had an element of lucidity. So I think it's in us innately to be aware of our dreams. And we naturally suppress it and then it becomes less and less priority in our life. I talk to people and I say, you know, what is your before you go to sleep, what's the experience that you do? What's your build up to bed? You know, and it is check my smartphone, have brushed my teeth, you know, take my clothes off, yep. bit of time on the phone, all right, night love, you know, maybe they're making love with their partner, yep. maybe they're rolling over, yep. reading a book if they're cerebral, but it's a quick, short, they're into sleep. Yep. And they want to get to sleep as quickly as possible. They want to sleep as heavily as possible. It's almost like a job that needs to get done. Yeah, but they have no interest in their dreams. They're yep. not thinking about what am I going to dream about? Am I going to remember my dreams? Am I going to put a focus now? If I do become lucid tonight, what am I going to do? You know, if you're lucid now and this conversation, this podcast, isn't me and you chatting on a podcast, it's you back at the villa, you're sleeping, you're dreaming about this podcast, right? You suddenly become aware yeah. this is a dream, yeah. right? You know, what are you actually going to do? You're going to carry on chatting to me? 
Well, I might do for a bit, but I might fly away and well, that's, yeah, that's your back, that literally, you probably haven't given it a thought, right? Probably not, though, I'd want You're going to go into a default response. So people get interested in lucid dreaming, they finally have a lucid dream, they had no idea what they were going to do, they flew for a bit, it was amazing, yeah. they got a taste for this sense of infinity and sense of unity, and, you know, they might do it again, but they didn't have a structured, you know, it's not a practice for the light-hearted. You're talking about um, years of focus, constant attention, and at that point, you'll then be able to like be creative within the realm. You know? so, so, so I guess, but, okay, what you're saying is then, for it, for, it, for it to be sustainable, if you were to actually practice this, it has to be a labour of love. It has to be something which you put a lot of effort into, yeah, you think about it a lot, so, yeah. but you practice a lot before you're able to even up. And also sometimes, I guess, when you practice all the preparation, it won't happen as well. And yeah, you've got yeah, to deal yeah, with that yeah, disappointment yeah. to an extent. There's an element of like, uh, you know, you've got to let go of it. Yeah. The more you're trying to stranglehold this, having this experience, but um, compare, if you compare yourself to your peers, you know, within my world, I talk to people that are in my day-to-day -day awareness that are interested in dreams. The topic of dreams comes up multiple times. I've just been asked, out of the blue, on a stag do, to come and have a chat about dreams, right? That doesn't happen to other people. It doesn't happen to them because it's not on their agenda, right? It isn't in there, you know. Well, it's, it's, it, to be fair, in, 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 in reaction to that, it's something which Ian, who's the, sta who's the stag and the stag do, has told me you're yeah. quite interested in. Something I'm quite interested in myself, so okay, that's how we've gone about this, yeah, to be yeah, fair. Yeah. I appreciate this, it's mainly a thought podcast and we try to touch on mental health uh, to an extent at some point in the podcast as well. We try to touch on another area of mental health or of life to an extent, so that's how it's come about. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I understand it's quite weird in that, in that sense. I mean, for me, so, it's not weird though, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but, it isn't weird. But I've, 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 I've come up to you yeah, and just sure. said to Dan, let's, let's, let's go 10, 10 yards from the bar and talk about lucid dreams. So it is quite weird to that extent. Well, they, well, well, it would be weird to anyone else who was here, but to me, uh, you know, I. You know, I, I don't preach to people, but I find people are drawn into this subject. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Wary, yeah. Those that are interested want to learn more. Sure, yeah. yeah. And like, um, uh, you know, it, it, it is a scope for massive personal development within yourself. Yep. Also for the just, uh, you know, the longevity of the experience I, I experience. I'm remembering eight dreams a night, right? Even if I'm not lucid, I know I can recall the fact that I've had this chat with this person learned this knowledge, had this conversation with this person, found some found some resolution and conclusion with that, moved on, maybe had something enjoyable and experienced. I've had all this in the sleep. Other people, you know, like, my, I've extended my life experience just from uh, uh, enhancing my awareness without any element of lucidity. So, so, uh, so, so building on from that and what you said, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here to an extent because I know dreams work in a certain way and your memory works in a certain way. So, for example, if you say you can remember a dream tonight, can you tell me, not, not to go into the details here, but can you tell me last night you had eight dreams, or six to eight dreams, for example, that you remember? Can you honestly say that? Yeah, no, yeah, I can say that. I mean, I, at I, this I, point I, now, because we're near, we're near sort of bedtime now, aren't we? So we're almost 24 hours on yeah, from that point. The, uh, the clarity and the detail of those dreams is going to have subsided. Right, okay. Yeah. But, um, really, it, like, it sounds outrageous. The only reason why I mention the fact that I can remember eight dreams is because I spoke to my friend here, Chris. He's remembering five dreams a week. I was impressed by it, right? I was, I was, yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, that is, that's good for someone who is not a, a lucid dreamer. For someone who's not in touch yeah, with that sort that, of yeah. I was like, you, you know, you that's impressive. You're in touch with that. You, know, you said to me before we started this, you remember about one a week? Yeah. yeah. Well, roughly around that, yeah. yeah, roughly. And the crux of it is, when you go to bed, I would bet, without having spoken to you on this, you have had no thought about the fact of, in, of like reinforcing the fact that you will remember a dream. No, like, no, not at all. You've not set a positive like, uh, no. affirmation. Like, you haven't, you know, so I, you know, I'll go on holiday with someone and I'll say to them, tomorrow morning, tell me about a dream. I just want to know about one dream, I don't care what it is. And they'll be like, I don't remember my dreams. And I'll be like, no, I reckon you can do it, you know. And just that that conversation, the next day they wake up, almost about guarantee, they'll tell me about a dream they had. Okay. So it is, uh, it's bringing your, like, we all dream. People who tell me they don't remember their dreams, they're dreaming, they're not remembering them, you know. If you want tips, you know, if, if I'm teaching someone to lucid dream, I'm normally starting with dream recall. I was going to say, if you were to give yeah. someone three tips, yeah. what you've would you got, give them? You've got to start with your dream recall, right? There's no point of even trying to become lucid in a dream if you can't remember your, your dreams. 
And so I would say, you know, number one, uh, it's got to be, if you do remember a dream, you've got to get in the habit of writing it down. Okay. So, so document it as soon as you wake up? Yeah, ideally, it could be in the middle of the night, whatever, you, okay. whatever works for you. You know, I've got a pen with a little light on it when I was starting out. I'd wake up, go to the toilet, I'd write down whatever okay. dreams I can remember for the night, get up in the morning, do it a bit. The, the, the habitual practice of it is going to tell you I value remembering my dreams. I want this information. I want to document it. Uh, in doing so, you're going to invest time and energy into it. It's going to become, you'll start with one in a space of time, it will come to two, to three. You know, you'll get into a habit. Um, you know, I'm in the guilty place of not recording my dreams. You know, I've got to the place where it's a hassle to write down so much information. Is, it, is, it, is that because well, it happens so often? Or? Yeah, partly it's, you know, I go through stages of recording some that are very uh, influential. Right. Uh, and I'll go through a stage of like, right, I'm going to reinforce my practice. I'm going to do a month of recording my dreams. But I've done the hard year. I've done, you know, I've done three solid years of recording my dreams. You know, it's not, you know, it's not me just saying like, oh, I'll tell you to do this, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah, okay. You know, like, um, so there, definitely, recording your dreams, easy one. Number two, uh, when you wake up, the first thing you want to be doing is thinking about what your dream was. Okay. That has to be your first thought. Was that in some sort of context, you think? Or It's a case of like, we're naturally designed to forget our dream. We're in a state of apathy in that transitional hypnagogic state. Yep. Um, so if you're saying the first thing I'm going to do is have a think, lie there, I'm going to be still, you know. The days that my wife wakes me up on my child, much more difficult. I could have remembered, I might even remember dreams throughout the night. I wake up in the morning, she can zap them from my memory with a real quick, just like, uh, you know, yeah, that's it, yeah. back into the waking yeah, life. It's yeah. too quickly shifted from life, yeah. one to the other. So you need, like, if you can curate that, not having an alarm. You know, I set one day a week where I'm going to be dreaming, definitely not going to have an alarm. I might sleep in the spare bedroom. You know, I'll, I'll set my seat yeah, up so yeah, I yeah. can have that extra long yeah, sleep. Yeah, of yeah, and the last one is just intent, and I, I probably, I say it last, it probably should have been first, you know. You need to, to set the intent that you are going to remember. So when I ask someone, tell me a dream tomorrow, I've set them an intent. I've invertedly set it because they've said, oh, you know, should I do this for this guy? Go on then, you know. And so it is that I will remember. It doesn't have to be this repeat, I'll remember my dreams 50 times till you fall asleep. Yeah, if you want to do that, you know, I've been that guy saying affirmations until yeah. I fall asleep. But having the intent that you will remember, I want to remember, I'm going to value this, and you'll be away. You know, I would say, I'd argue within a week, if not within days, you will, if you don't remember your dreams, you will have, you will have remembered a dream. You know, and you can build on that, really. So, so, given all that, I guess one thing to sort of point upon is, what has it given you? So what has this practice, the fact that you've put in all this effort into this lucid dream, and the fact that you've obviously spent a lot of time in this, what would you say the one or two things, the main things that you've drawn from this that have benefited you from from from, from, from yeah, like practicing it, like this? It, it may be a bit cliche, but I'll probably say kindness ultimately. Okay. That is uh, um, kindness in what way though? Kindness in the way that it, when you're dreaming and you become lucid, I'll be dreaming I'm here in front and you're there, Luke. Yeah. In front of me, I can see you every strand of your hair. The smell's there. It's beautiful. But it's beautiful. Glossy, <laughs> shiny. Fantastic. Hit by the sun, <laughs> vitamin D's glowing. And then, but you are ultimately me, right? In my dream. Yes, I've created you. Yeah. You're a part of me. I'm a so, creation of you. Yeah. yeah. So, and then ultimately, this is the transition that comes over to my waking state. So, I, I'm massive on what I call lucid living, right? If you have a lucid dream, okay. I subscribe to the notion you can be lucid in your waking state. What? Is this like daydreams or? Uh, this is, uh, yeah, this is a half an hour probably conversation with me. Okay, all right, all right. In, in essence, you're lucid and your conscious mind, that is your ego, has gone to sleep. Luke Tyrrell is in his bed, yep. he's sleeping. Yep. Your subconscious mind is dreaming. Yeah. having his dream. Subconscious mind awakened is in the dream and the conscious mind that is Luke goes, I'm Luke Tyrrell. I'm in a bed in Barcelona. Yep. I'm not at home. I'm not dreaming that yep. I'm getting my car. I'm in a dream, right? Yep. Your conscious mind's awake. You're lucid in the dream state, right? So in the dream state, your subconscious mind is the dominant force. Yep. Your conscious mind has awakened. Okay. In your waking life, where you are right now, your conscious mind is the dominant force. Yep. You're Luke Tyrrell. I'm standing in front of you. Luke is in command. He knows where he was born. Yep. He knows that this this isn't a dream. This is the waking state. Yep. I'm Luke standing in front of you right now. Right. You'll be on my foot. So, so in, the, in the in the uh, in the comparison. 
Luke 2 or Conscious Mind is now the subconscious mind in the dream world. Okay. He, he's Luke, the subconscious Luke Tyrrell is having his dream. Yep. In his dream, he's Luke. He has his life and his history. Yep. So yep. I believe in your, in, your, in your waking life, your subconscious mind can awaken, become your dominant and predominant force of perspective on the world, and you will be like, I'm a dreamer. Awake in this dream of life, you know, and you will have the exact same lucid experience that we talk about in our lucid dreams in your waking life. Okay. And it won't be you as Luke Tyrrell that had it, it will be you as your subconscious mind that is having the lucid dream waking life. And when you do it, you will realise, I'm you, that guy over there is you, you know, this is your creation, and, it, and, and the laws of gravity don't exist, and all of this is, you know, and it is that shared, shared conscious dream. And so, and I would say, I've had that experience, few times in my life, you know, one time I decided it's a great idea to go and get married now. Right? I've been against it for years yeah. and, and just had a lucid dream. And, and in having had them and having had so many lucid dream experiences on the other side, that's where I, I'm going to draw the parallel. You know, I, believe, I believe right now I'm in a dream and it's my waking dream and a dream character called Luke Tyrrell has come up to me and asked me to talk about dreams. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know it's not my dream when I go to sleep, this is the dream of life. Yes. Right? And I could be at my desk and be unaware of it, and you know, and and I've, I'm raising my awareness in my waking state. I don't feel like I'm lucid now, you know, but I am. I'm like it's that semi-lucid state where I'm like, yeah. no, we're yeah. talking about lucidity. Yeah. Something could be happening. Yeah. So yeah, that's the biggest thing, you know. And in doing so, I feel like, you know, I am kind to my fellow man. I do try and be nice when I'm in the car, and not, you know, get the get road rage and treat someone like a jerk. Um, yeah, and most of that is, you know, I, I'm years in, so I've done, you know, I feel like everyone starts, they get lucid, yep. they have sex with it's a development. celebrities, they do the hedonistic side yep. of it, then yep. they do the self-development side of it, they yep. start learning skills in their dream. Yep. So yeah, all that stuff's great, you know, and you, you touch on mental uh, health, um, loads of people, you know, suffering from the war, having recurring nightmares, yep. lucid, tra lucid training, getting in, into touch with having these dreams and being able to resolve issues. You know, people talk about hypnotherapy, getting into your deep psyche. Yeah, yeah. Lucidity is even deeper than that. You know, we're talking about the deep realms of your subconscious. Um, you know, like we talked. So I said to you, if you had a lucid dream tonight, what would you do? You said, I don't know. But I'm going to put you on the spot and say, what would you do? Make your tell me your plan now. The next time you have a lucid dream, what are you going to do? So if I had a choice now, if I was to go back after after I finish my beer, go back home and sleep right now, I would probably. I know it's probably a cliche, but I'd probably fly around Barcelona to see what was there was to offer. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably sit to, to get the opportunity to see the part of the city which I haven't seen. <laughs> right, yeah. To, Culture to, vulture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah maybe, maybe, go, maybe go and see a show. No, no. But go and see things I haven't seen. And the thing is, like, this is the realm of infinity, right? Well, that's, that's you the You could have the, the architect of the Sagrada Familia meet you in person. There's big right? words there mate, you don't have to explain it to me. Uh, Sagrada Familia is just like a big uh, church in Barcelona. Uh, very, very uh, elaborate architecture. I didn't yep. get finished in its design. Yep. Looks very well still. revered. Yep. And what I'm saying is you could have the architect that designed it okay. meet you in person, in your dreams, tell you about his thoughts behind how he put this together. And why he didn't finish it. Why he didn't finish it. How he got stopped, you know, how, what, what he would do to finish yep, it off. Yep, yep. So all I'm saying is like, you're limited by your imagination, right? Yeah. And like, having a flying dream, that's great. And I've done them all, and we, we definitely would do it, right? But the more lucidity you have, the more your imagination is tested, and the more you realize you're only bound by your imagination. This applies to your waking life. Are you going to do a job? Are you going to run a podcast? Are you going to be a multi-millionaire? Are you going to live, you know, are you going to uh, care for people? Are you going to make an impact on the world? We're talking about you, you are bound by your imagination. It's exactly, you know, this is exactly the same thing. Whether in your dream state or not, if you ask them what you're going to do in your dreams, they could do anything. And I, I asked this question, I was at a client meeting. The guy told me he'd go to Italy and have some olives. He could do anything, that's it. Yeah. That's what he chose that's to do. What he wanted to do. He wanted to just go to Italy and eat olives. There was no prejudice on it, right? I've been to Italy, I've eaten some olives yeah, there. Very lovely. nice olives. Very nice. Nice. Olive yeah, of course. But we're talking about anything in anything the world. Anything you can right? do in the world. Anything, yeah? So you, need, you want to ask yourself that question. You know, that, that's a good starting point. What am I getting? Even if you don't follow the follow the uh, actual path of putting them in the dedication to have a lucid dream, 
you want to ask yourself that question, what would I do if I if I had a losing experience? So, I mean, without getting too personal, and obviously feel free to reflect if it is still personal, but what do you feel the most, if you can recall, the most influential lucid dream you've ever had? Obviously, you're a man who now of 30 plus years of age, you have children, you have, you have, you have a partner. Um, has anything happened to make that happen or completely disconnected? Have you had any lucid dream which has really affected your life or your person to date, do you feel? That you, that you can recall? Yeah, I mean, uh, like it, it is a personal topic, not that I don't want to share, but it's more just like... Oh, no, obviously, go to much detail as you want. The lucid dream experience that I have that is going to be groundbreaking in my life, you're not going to have. I'm not, and, and it's not like, oh, I'm going to have this dream, you're not going to have it. I'm just saying, the relevance of it, you know, like I have a lucid dream and I, um, personally, I'm scared of falling. I thought I was scared of um, heights for years, getting nervous when I got high up. But I found that actually if I'm high up and I'm secure, it's not an issue. But if I'm high up and there's a sheer drop, no barrier. So it's a sensation. Right, and I'm having a physical response to it, right? right? Yeah. Um, and I've, actually, you know, I've done a lot of stuff to, to test that and work with it. And so with my lucid dreams, I've put myself in predicaments, high up on the edge of something. Partly with the knowledge that I know it's a dream. You know, there isn't that. I can't actually, but I'm still overcoming the fears and phobias, you know, within my within my dream world. And I definitely found, you know, I can't say now I'll be up somewhere high in my hardware somewhere. But I definitely, you know, that you know, I hear people about doing it with spiders, you know, personally I have a problem with spiders. Yep, you know, yep, the yep. idea of like I'll be in a dream and then I'll deal with that phobia. So dealing with my fear. fear. verbal communication but just like non-verbal but like uh, an understanding of what's going on and just like um, uh, you know I was in pain before when I wasn't dreaming yeah, and yeah. now I'm in this you know I'm in this state of bliss um, and you know in an essence I understood that I had curated my own illness and it was a byproduct of how I had lived my life how I viewed the world the different emotions I bottled up um, and ultimately I was presented with a choice you know do you want to go back and uh, you know, align yourself with health uh, and address the issues that you were uh, you know, facing personally. Yep. Um, and normally, yeah, I came back and decided that you know, I was healthy now. Uh, and then over the next six months, I got doctors taking my cancer spread. It's here, it's in my liver. And I just said, you know, no, I'm sorry, you got it wrong. Yep. And then about a few months after that, they just kind of turned around and said, I don't know what's happened, but you know, you're healthy. And this is like, you know, 15 years ago, never had an issue since. So yeah, for me, um, it's, it isn't lucid dreaming training that got me to the point where I had that experience on any level, you know. Uh, but it's a common experience for different people who've had like, like near-death experiences. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a strong believer of uh, how I've interpreted my experience, but I definitely don't project onto other people, you know. It's such a sensitive sub subject. We all know someone that's going through uh, cancer. My dad's going through radiotherapy at the minute. Yep. The idea that I'm telling him he's curated the prostate cancer, you know. Um, but I still sincerely believe that all disease is dis-ease. You're not at ease with yourself. You're yep. not in alignment with your health, yep. right? Your disease is a symptom of not being in alignment with your true health, you know. How you get there, for everyone will be different, and it's a, it's a balance. Um, becoming conscious in your dreams, you know, I personally believe will help you find balance in your life. Um, but you know, it's not for everyone. People are waking up to being interested in their dreams. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, have fun with it. You know, be that guy that is having sex with celebrities in his lucid dreams. But you know? well, why not? Yeah, you know, if you can, yeah. then why not? <laughs> you know, exhaust all the possibilities of your hedonistic game. Uh, but then get into the Yeah. You know, I'm arming. 
you know, it is a byproduct of living the life of that of that area. And it's the same with lucid treatment, you know. You'll get in it for the enjoyment side of it, and, uh, you know, holidaying wherever you want. Yeah. Yeah. But there is the holistic side of it. There is the uh, closure of talking to dead relatives. Um, you know, there is the he uh, healing past habits and, uh, you know, one of the... One of the lovely ones is, uh, you know, getting to, you know, I love to talk to my previous self as a child. Okay. Bring up my, uh, you know, and we, we're all holding on to these images and habits of people and how we perceive ourselves. Uh, and yeah, that, you know, I will feel, I'll wake up feeling, uh, you know, on top of the world if I've given my six-year-old self a hug yeah. in a dream. You yeah. Know? Well, well done. I can't. Thank you very much, but I know it's, it's, it's a very emotional topic and a very personal topic and something which we've dived into the, to, to podcast before, but something probably not in this depth. And personally, I want to thank you for, for sharing so much with us um, and, the, and the listeners. Oh, you're welcome, yeah. No, no, I, I, I do really appreciate it. I appreciate what Anastad doing. This is something completely out of the norm for, for me to ask you to do. It's completely weird. Let's be honest, it is weird for me to ask you. But I've heard it's something you're interested in, something I'm personally interested in, and hopefully something our listeners can, can, can take a lot out of. So yeah, I'm going to plug my website, Awaken Away, if you want to learn. Yeah, awakenaway.co.uk, yeah, please do. Normally we focused on uh, lucid dreaming and retreats, so we get people together in the nature. We might be in the Brooklyn Beacons in Wales, okay. out in the countryside. Normally uh, um, we're, we're trying to create an experience where we're going to give you the best environment for you to potentially have a lucid dream. If not, take home techniques that you can use. Um, yeah, and other than that, you know, we're doing one-to-one mentoring. Uh, but we, yeah, just about spreading the message about getting more yeah. interested in your dream company. Well, Dan, again, thank you very much for sharing your very personal stories and, 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 and very interesting stories on this topic. And I say it's something which has been really interesting to me and hopefully really interesting to our listeners. So, again, uh, thank you very much. And we'll have a few beers after this to, to celebrate. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cheers, and mate. I'll be looking forward to hearing your dreams tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah cheers, mate. Thank yeah, you very I much. Be, yeah. I hope I'll be sober <laughs> enough to remember to do this. Share yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take care, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Liz. The Six Pointer Podcast.